So if you have your Bibles, come with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is just read, but I want you to see it as we go through it. Um, this passage, I, I'll be honest, was hard to understand. It looks easy to understand, but it's harder to understand than I thought. And I think it, it was also hard on me um, just to understand what areas in my life um, that need changing, that I'm guilty of, that God is convicting um, in my life. So this was a brutal passage to put my mind and heart around this week for a good, for a good sanctifying cause. And it also reminded me I have a long ways to grow. And I realized at least a couple of things that we are all Pharisees or, Sag or, or scribes. Either that's our condition still of, or we are recovering Pharisees and, and, and scribes. But let's begin with this way. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been struggling with congestion. Every time I'm in a public place like a library, everyone looks at me and they walk away thinking I have uh, coronavirus. And recently I realized there's a new way to handshake. Some people do the elbow thing. Other people are doing these little foot claps now. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, that's how we roll today. So we did little <laughs> foot high fives that are, you know, can't pass viruses that way. Don't trip each other and land on each other's face. That'd be bad. I guess, yeah, I'd probably do that if I was a teenager. Let's do a foot click trip. Oh, you fell. But anyways, according to um, social media today, it's a website um, in, in August 8th, 2019. There's a little article there that's on several other sites too, where Facebook, the big, the big giant Facebook, was paying out $40 million on a settlement claim where they inflated their video data metrics to their advertisers, <coughs> those who are giving ads out. And so they're basically saying, hey, our metrics are high. Your, your, your ads are getting everywhere um, <coughs> at, at this level. <coughs> so over an 18-month period of time from 2000. 15 to 16, it wasn't the case. And the ads weren't going out to as many people. And so the people that asked, them, asked Facebook to do these ads caught them. And though they didn't own up to it, for some reason, they're still paying $40, $40 million. And so I, I, this caught my attention in a sense, maybe Facebook had an inflated view of themselves, or they didn't check their metrics or, or data. But either way, um, I believe that their inflated view of themselves, their name, their recognition blinded them, and they thought they would just get away with it, but they didn't. And they caused harm to their reputation. They caused harm to these other companies. And they eventually got caught, and, and they paid. They paid for it. And so as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, as we actually are in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5, and then chapter 6, and now in chapter 7, throughout the whole entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is literally addressing the believers that are listening. There's the people that are, I believe are curious, and then there are the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is also trying to address all at the same time. And he's talking constantly about what does it mean to be part of God's kingdom? What is the character look like? What does your heart look like? Um, how, how are we to, to live? And so Jesus has come to a point <coughs> here now where he's talking about how these Pharisees, these Sadducees, have an inflated view of themselves. They're thinking more highly than they ought about themselves. They think they are more righteous than they really are. And so we see that as we trace back into Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, we see Jesus systematically showing these Pharisees and Sadducees, you are more sinful than you, than you realize. Or he's saying over and over, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, that your righteousness does not exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, and the fact that you need to be perfect. And in fact, God is holy, and he demands that you would be holy too to enter into his kingdom. 
And so what Jesus does, mostly in chapter, the latter part of chapter 5 and 6, he systematically breaks down, breaks them down and says, hey, you're not that holy. And so if you remember, Jesus initially talked about anger, and they justified their anger, and they thought, oh, it's okay. But Jesus comes along and says, hey, your anger are the same seeds that lead to murder. So when you're angry, you're basically a spiritual murderer. Um, we, <clears throat> when you're angry with someone, you really wish they are dead and out of your out of your life that's the heart behind anger <clears throat> and so <clears throat> jesus comes along and says later on as they're talking about lust and they're thinking hey lust isn't a big deal but jesus says hey understand lust is the same heart as an adulterer and so when you lust after when you look at a woman and you look at a woman lustfully jesus says hey you're you're same you're the same as a spiritual adulterer and so as these sadducees or excuse me the scribes and the pharisees are hearing this they're like oh maybe i'm not as good as i thought maybe i'm not as righteous as i thought and so jesus goes on <coughs> and says hey there are people, a number of you guys getting divorced, and you, so you guys are asking for a certificate, almost like a coupon, so I could have a justification for my for my divorce. And Jesus says, "Hey, this is not what I. This is not the design for marriage. My my intent for marriage is that you would keep." About the last month or so, Jesus talked about praying, giving, and fasting, and. These are spiritual disciplines that are good for the believer to, to draw near to God and to, um, to grow in Christ. But the, the, sad, the scribes and the Pharisees took these three spiritual disciplines and they used them in another way. They would pray in such a way that they would be noticed. They would give in such a way that they wanted other people to see, look at me, I am so generous. And they would fast in such a way that they would fast in such that people would recognize, and they would do all these things to impress men, to show off the fact that they look spiritual on the outside. And deep down, their heart was hoping to, to, own, to increase in righteousness and bonus points with God. And so Jesus is going to say to each one of these, don't fast that way, don't pray that way, don't give that way. Do so, do so in private. And the Heavenly Father says, I, I want to, to bless you um, in the, <clears throat> as you give and pray and fast in, in secret. And so, so the Sadducees, I just keep saying Sadducees, the scribes and the Pharisees, um, they, their hearts were proud and they, they had hearts that sought to achieve righteousness. And, and now as we get to chapter 7, Jesus is addressing um, judgmental hearts or critical hearts and <clears throat> because their character their spiritual fabric wasn't based on the righteousness of Christ but on self-righteousness it's the, the cracks of their spiritual spirituality are starting to show more and more and this <clears throat> and the damages is starting to show show more and so sort of like their inflated view of themselves and of Facebook um, they're, they're, the cracks are showing and they're experiencing consequences um, in a number of different ways. And so this is what we're going to look at today. Uh, and this is kind of what's at stake for the Pharisees and the scribes and for us today. Many of us may just look at the scribes and the Pharisees and they go, that, that's not us. I think every one of us prior to coming to Christ, we were trying to earn and merit our way to something. Um, really, every religion has this mindset. You know, if, you're in, if you have come from a religion that's into karma, you're trying to say, I, I need to do better in this life, so what? Karma is coming around better the next time around. If you're in other Eastern religions, it's always about doing better. Um, and so <clears throat> this hasn't changed. A, a Pharisee's mindset is, what can I, how can I live better? How can I achieve my own personal righteousness? And, and so John MacArthur has this insight. He says here, the Pharisees were doing all they could to lift themselves up in their own eyes. Are we not like that? Including acting as spiritual judges by condemning others. The way our, there's a slippery heart, the heart works is you, you lift yourself up and you see yourself righteous and you look down and you condemn others. Jesus is here talking about the self-righteous, egotistical judgment 
and unmerciful sin to holiness, unmerciful condemnation by the scribes and the Pharisees. So one way those who are self-righteous work, they lift themselves up, they're critical, and they're typically not merciful. They're not compassionate. And those two things go along. When you are in Christ and you're binding in Christ, you're not critical. You're gracious and you're compassionate. The interesting thing for both of these people, the, the believer and <clears throat> that's abiding in Christ and the Pharisees, they know the same knowledge, but they relate to the knowledge differently. One, <clears throat> one is overwhelmed and they love they loved based on God's truth. They love it because God has loved them. The Pharisees, their mindset is, I, I'm righteous on my own. I'm holding to these truths. And I'm also taking it to a higher level sometime above Scripture, or I make my own specialty version of God's Scripture. And since others aren't doing it, I ain't going to say, hey, you know, you're not doing this. I'm going to look down on you and condemn you. And so that's the mindset and the heart behind the scribes and the Pharisees. And so... The pri their primary concern was not to help others from sin to holiness, but to condemn them to eternal judgment because of attitude, actions and attitudes that did not square with their worldliness and self-made traditions. And so that's the mindset of a scribe and uh, a Pharisee. And so we do this in many ways and come... Our self-righteousness could come out in a number of different ways. It could be maybe the way you dress. I dress this way and you don't, so I'm going to condemn you. I'm organized in this way and you're not, so I'm going to condemn you. I like this brand of Christian music and, and you don't, so I'm going to condemn you. Um, I'm into the style of homeschooling and you're not, so I look less of you. So it could just come in a, a number of ways. I'm a super good investor. I know how to make... Lots of money, because I use this biblical principle, look at you, you just don't know what the heck you're doing with your money. So it could come in a lot of different ways, but the net effect, it causes relational destruction in the community and the life of the church when there's this arrogant pride and critical spirit that runs through um, our relationships when you're functioning in a self-righteous mindset. So... So we are all either self, either scribes or Pharisees trying to earn our way into heaven, or basically we're in this room as recovering scribes and Pharisees by God's grace as we are being ever more rooted in the gospel. And the, the, the tricky thing with Facebook is that they were blinded by their, I don't know, name and reputation. And the same, for, and they paid for it. And same for believers. I, None of us totally get, I, I am overwhelmed with God's grace and accepted by God's love. There's still a sense in us, even as believers, that we're still trying to earn our righteousness. Because our, our heart is prone toward works. Is this how we're wired? Um, so we, we are all suffering from some degree of self-righteousness and inflated view of ourselves. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 7, one through six, we're going to look at three skewed views that hinder us from reflecting God's glory. Skewed view number one is that we have a skewed view of God, we have a skewed view of others, and then we have a skewed view of ourselves. And then lastly, we'll look at kind of the worst case scenario, a proper balance. And so we'll just walk right into this. Um, in the right beginning of Matthew chapter seven, verse one, we see a proper statement, whether you read God's word or maybe you interact with people. But sometimes you hear this phrase in Matthew 7, verse 1. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Um, in different translated, translations, it's translated in different ways. But a lot of times when we hear this, um, this phrase, and we, we just don't want to be condemned or judged, it could be a situation where, I don't know, your bedroom's messy and your wife or mom walks in and you're like, don't judge me because of my room. And you're like, you're basically saying, you know, get off my back. I just don't want you to say anything to me about my, my dirty room. All right. And so 
I want you to look deeper. There's more to what Jesus has to say than our, our popular reaction and statement um, that's being seen here. The, the scribes and the Pharisees often exercise unrighteous and unmerciful judgments against others who were not like them, who did subscribe to their own religiousosity. Um, if you know a little bit about Pharisees, they're into in their dress in some case. They, they would... Where they literally looked at Deuteronomy 6 and put scripture on them, on their frontals. frontals. They would get a, script, a box and they would typically get a bigger box and they would script, stick scriptures in it. And bigger the box, the more spiritual they would look and more righteous they would seem. And then they would wrap scriptures around um, <coughs> their and they would wrap it around their um, arms so to, to, to brace the scriptures on them. And so they had different ways of doing things to show off their spirituality. And as they did that, they constantly, what? Condemned others. But deep down, as they did this, it also revealed and reflected and manifested and displayed their skewed view of God. Okay, if they had a right view of God, they would be merciful and compassionate. If they would recognize that they were accepted in Christ, they wouldn't be trying to earn additional righteousness by doing all these extra things and making extra rules. And so what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, when he lays out this principle, judge not that you be not judged. What is Jesus trying to address? I believe that Jesus has a double meaning here in this passage. He's talking about how man judges and how God will eventually judge. And so Jesus' warning here is be very careful how you judge others, particularly as it relates to somebody's motives. You cannot know someone's heart. You can't know what's going inside another human being. Only God can know another person's motivations. We have some ideas because of their actions and maybe the things they say, but we can't know 100% what someone's motives. And I think that the in-between actions and motivations is be careful also when you assume things because you're assuming motivations and you don't you, one's action is not always indicative or a clear indication of what one's heart is. And so, and so Jesus is warning about judging people's motives in particular. And so his warning here is judge not. This is his concern as he's addressing the Pharisees and the scribes here. Judge not, I want you to know and want to clarify, doesn't mean to, to think not. To, it doesn't mean not to be discerning. Um, it doesn't mean to be blind or just overlook things. There's a place for spiritual judgment in situations, and God wants us to be wise and wants us to be prudent. But as we relate to people, this is where his concerns in the community, do we have a critical and judgmental heart? Okay, so... Talon, stand up. <laughs> so put this in front of your head, and I want, to, I want you to walk through the different aisles wildly like this. <laughs> no, forward, <laughs> like you have the big horn in front of your head, okay? <laughs> Seriously, walk through the areas and wave at your head around. Maybe you're trying to get me to knock someone out. <laughs> <laughs> no, without hitting anyone. So I, I didn't see, I didn't, yeah, don't really hurt someone, but go ahead and do this. Wave your head around. Um, when I, I looked at this passage, the commentators made a big deal that this is a net effect in the community. When someone has a self-righteous attitude and walks through the community, basically after a while they view this person as kind of like, this is the condemner in the life of the church. And people don't want to be around them because they know they're going to just get condemned about something. And it has this kind of collateral, collateral damage in the life of the community. Thank you. All right. You did pretty good, but didn't knock anyone out. But do you, do you understand that? I tried really hard. <laughs> you might have seen somebody, or there's people in this church, or maybe I realize I could be guilty of that at times. Um, the one thing that came up to me earlier this week is like, 
you know, are we more righteous if we're able to go to Compelled by Love conference or the parenting conference? No, not necessarily. But I think I was just feeling and experiencing that in my heart. And so it's, just, it's, just, it's a good thing, but when it's twisted in one's heart, it can become a messy thing and it causes damage to, to other people. And so, <clears throat> so this is the, the effect of self-righteousness. It's like waving your log around and hitting other people and causing damage in the life of the community. And so um, the Greek word here that Jesus is talking about is a very specific word in the Greek and it really refers to the judgment of the motives of men. And this really is a judgment that is ultimately left for who? God himself one day. He will judge us one day. And he will know all your intentions and why you did this and why you did that and why you screamed and why you yell and why you have hissy fits. Or on the flip side, some people take it internally. Why you're depressed, why you're isolated, why you're withdrawn, and why a, a lot of things. He understands the motivation of your heart. And one day he will. He won't judge you. I mean, you could witness for good reasons and bad reasons. You could serve others for good reasons and bad reasons for good motivation. And it's, it's a messy thing because what? Our heart is so crazy and fickle. It goes back and forth, up and down, right and wrong. But yet God wants us more and more to focus our heart on him and have a singular devotion to him. That's what he's getting at in this whole um, Sermon on the Mount. But for the Pharisees, he's literally attacking their self-righteousness and stripping it away more and more. And so my question for you and I is, do we have any or some or what degree of Pharisee and Sadducee tendencies in our life? Do we have an overinflated view of ourselves? Have we created a personal standard that's outside of Scripture where we condemn others around us? And so, and so this, I just want you to think about that. And it's probably, as I look, as, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, it's probably worse than you want to realize. We, we are probably more self-righteous than we care to admit because the nature of self-righteousness, it also blinds us. If talent put this right in front of his eyes, if he'd be really honest, you can't see that well with a plank or a mini log right in front of your eyes, right? If I asked him to run and play football or drive a car um, with that in front of his eyes, it would be very difficult. He would probably crash or not see what's coming in front of him. It would be pretty hard to even catch a football with a plank in front of your face. I mean, your vision's skewed and you can't see what's going on. And so that's what's happening here. And so the warning that James gives in this situation as we relate to others. He says to be really careful. In James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. <clears throat> the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver law and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So as you think about this, this is God's responsibility to judge. There's places that we'll talk about a little bit to exercise appropriate discernment and love and care for each other. But <clears throat> when we hold this position as judge, we're acting and playing we're playing God. We're playing God over others. And this is exactly what the scribes and uh, Pharisees were doing. They, they thought they were so spiritual, they earned almost basically the self-righteous right to play God over other people. And so they would go around um, shunning people and condemning others around them. So as you look at your heart and ask yourself, are you prone to be critical and to condemn others? That's heavy. That's heavy. Sometimes we might be in church cultures or family cultures, and the whole mindset always is just let's condemn, let's condemn, let's condemn, let's condemn. 
hoping that would lift people up, up and up. But actually you're causing more and more frustration and destruction in the life of the community. So we can have a skew viewed of God, which also messes up the way we relate to other people. And you see that in your lack of mercy and your lack of compassion because something about your view of God is messed up. But yet, <clears throat> yet God wants to do an amazing work to transform you. And he wants you to know his grace and his mercy and that we would be compelled by love. And if, when you're compelled by love, you understand, hey, I am moving with Christ and the Spirit of God and the Word of God is active in my life in a healthy kind of way. And God is moving you from a perspective of being skewed to having more clarity. As we talked about having um, a <clears throat> singular vision and, uh, and a body, what was it in, this, in the last section? A body that's, that has an open eye and an open window to the body, a body that's open and clean and whole that follows a clear vision. And so. View number two is a skewed view of others. Some people feel that it's their job to judge others because somehow they think they're superior to others. So they want to be like little, little, judge, little gods and, and judge others. And so the Pharisees thought they were exempt from this judgment somehow because they perfectly measured up to the divine standards. So the mindset of the Pharisees, they thought they were living up and they were the divine standards that God has set out. But the problem is that no human being um, can reach the divine standards on their own. So what the Pharisees actually did is created more human standards above, against, or below the standard of scriptures. And so <clears throat> they said, hey, this is you know, our belief and framework, and we are, we are so righteous because we dress and we act and we pray and we give this way, and you're not. And so you are scum in my vision. You are worthy to be condemned. And Jesus says, no, it's not that way. You don't have this right to, to relate to others. Your view of others is somehow skewed. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, Jesus is super straightforward and explains how we are to view others. He says here, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, <coughs> you use it, it will be measured to you. And so this is intense. I believe this is a, a passage that is heart-piercing. The Spirit, <clears throat> may the Spirit give us grace and understanding to understand what Jesus is talking about here. But again, I, I believe here that Jesus is using the word um, judgment now, the word measure, with a double meaning. Um, in, verse, in Matthew 7, verse 2, the lesson that Jesus is reinforcing here <clears throat> is being repeated the, the, the word measure means much is the same as judgment in the previous verse. It points out the standard that someone is using to, point, to pass judgment against another. God, God does not act arbitrarily, but there is an appropriateness about his judgment. So in other words, when you look at the statement, the measure you give will be the measure you get. So as you go around using a, a measure um, against someone else, there's almost a boomerang effect that Jesus says. If, if you measure up people in different ways, they will look at you and understand how you measure them up, and they'll start condemning and judging you in the life of the community. And they'll, they'll be critical of you because you've been critical of them. If you've been judgmental to them, they'll be judgmental with you. And so that's just the effect and it's dangerous and it's sad as it seeps into the life of, of families and of communities. And so here's one um, example. And I just thought, this is so sad. In Esther chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, if you know your Old Testament, Haman was wanting to hang King, King Mordecai. And so things boomeranged around on him. And so we see in Esther chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it says here, moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose, wor whose words saved the king, is standing 
at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that, that they may, that, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. abated. So this is just a sad story where Haman had this plans to kill Mordecai and it boomeranged around. And guess what? He was hung himself. And so <clears throat> understand being critical and judgmental is dangerous. To have this standard will influence a community and it'll come back and eventually hit you in one way or another. And so as we are reminded um, from the gospel, may the gospel only free us from our condemnation. Understanding what? That there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That by the cross, Jesus took the condemnation that's supposed to be poured on us, and instead on us, it was poured into him. And he has set us free from sin and from condemnation that we might not feel that we need to cling to something, some belief, some idea, some strength of ours, and condemn others to make, we make ourselves feel good spiritually. Lastly, <coughs> Jesus addresses our very self. He, he was, began with our view of God, our view of others. Now he just brings it home and gets really practical and wants us to address ourselves. And so if we tend to judge others harshly or critically, this really just kind of reflects the state of our heart that is, that is missing. Um, last week, or lacking, or somehow not right with Jesus. And so last week we talked about um, anxiety attack, and Jesus says the antidote is basically looking at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They don't stress, they don't worry. And then at the end, he says what? Seek ye first, <clears throat> and everything will be added unto you. I realize, I'm understanding, as we look at this passage, when we are critical and judgmental of others, we're seeking to build our kingdom. And the way we are trying to build it is, is being critical of others. And so I realize the key to turning the tide of our criticalness is to be people that would seek Christ first and his kingdom first. And as your heart and your mind turns for God's kingdom and you're all in for, for God and his cause and his kingdom, things will turn, the culture will turn, your attitude will turn, your mindset will turn, and you'll find that you're what? more rooted in the gospel, and your community will change. But if you don't, you'll find that there's more bad fruit, and it just begins to stink. It's, it's a critical attitude will stink up the life of the church. And so Jesus gets real practical here, and now I'm going to bring the two brothers into play here. In Matthew chapter um, 7, verse 3, 4, and 5, we see Jesus' practical illustration here. Jesus asked this basic question, why do you see the speck that is, in, that is in your brother's eye? So he poses this really basic question, and I, I wrestled with this back and forth. For the longest time, I read speck, and I thought, oh, like, like a piece of dirt or sawdust. You know, maybe Andrew's working on his benches, and he's sanding some stuff, and there's sawdust, a little tiny little speck that's unnoticeable. But... As I'm contemplating the scenario going down here, it's hard to notice sawdust, especially if your eyes look like sawdust. If you have hazel eyes or brown eyes and you have you know, sawdust on, you just can't barely see it. it I couldn't see if there's sawdust on your eyes. Uh, maybe you have blue eyes, there's more contrast, but seriously. Uh, <clears throat> and so as I study the Greek word here, um, kyphros, kyphros, it speaks of, it doesn't speak of a tiny, small dot, dust piece of, of wood. It actually refers to like a small stalk or a twig. So I went outside yesterday and grabbed a twig that Manny would play with and run around, and he kills the bad guys in the backyard. I grabbed one of his sticks, and, and I think this is more what Jesus is talking about. It's a clear and obvious sin in someone's life. It is, I'll say it's noticeable. Okay, this person's sin is noticeable. And, and he makes a comparison here later on in verse 
3 and 4, <coughs> if I can find it right here. It says, but, you know, but, do, but do not notice the log that is in my own eye. And so there, there's a bigger log that Jesus is talking about. So I think this is, it's not the contrast of microscopic and something macro. It's something large and obvious and gigantic. Um, it's something noticeable and, and obvious. Um, and so I think in the life of a church, you know when someone has a, a noticeable sin, and you probably know, you probably are real, recognized after a while, the person who has what? The gigantic sin after a while, because this is that, that obvious. And so, Talon and Taylor, stand up. This is where we're just going to play this out a little bit more, and we'll describe what this looks like. Okay. Uh, stand out here. <laughs> Put this in front of your eyes. You just stand in front, you come over on this side. <laughs> of me on the side here. So I want you to wave this around. Knock, knock, don't clock me in the head. Put it closer to your eyes. And so you're looking around in the life of the church and you look at this other guy. You see him and like, hey. Look at that little speck in your eye. Look at that little speck in your eye. And he looks back at you and like, Whoa, what's that? <laughs> In your whole face, you got problems. All right? And you're having this discussion. You have this twig issue, and you have this log issue. It doesn't come off very well if the one with the bigger log is talking to this person who has what? The one with the smaller log or twig in their eyes. And so Jesus' illustration is very clear in terms of what he's getting at, all right? So we understand this. And so you guys can sit down. You guys can kind of see what it looks like. But this happens all the time. Could you imagine if Jesus would help us to see our sin better and he puts his virtual log and twig in all our eyes for every issue? Our self-righteous organization, our self-righteous you know, view of this. And is this, we're, we have all these virtual logs and we're just causing damage and bumping into each other. And so... <clears throat> He's putting a strong warning on the Sermon Mount, and he's essentially saying this, and here's his concern. I want you to know the, the log itself refers to self-righteousness. It's one who's building their life and their worth on something else other than Christ. And it's gross, it's wretched, and it's blinding, and it causes damages, damage, damage, damage to other people. And so John MacArthur has a lot of insight on this one. Here's a second quote. He says, the very nature of self-righteousness is to justify self and to condemn others. In so doing, play God because they judge themselves on the basis of their own standard and wisdom. Self-righteous, self-righteousness is the worst sin because it is unbelief. This is just sad. He actually says self-righteousness is the worst sin of all. I, I, these are things I've never even really thought about, how to categorize sin. But it's really when you're self-righteous, you have the sense that I don't believe in God. I don't believe in what Christ has done for me. And I realize for the Sadducees or the scribes and the Pharisees, they're counting on this. They can't count on God because they're what? Counting on themselves. And so because of this self righteousness <clears throat> because of the self-righteousness the person sees only they, they, they see no sin in their own lives and because their vision is skewed they have a hyper focus of seeing the sin of others and so at the same token they also say their mind and the heart is so distorted by the self-righteousness they don't think they need the cross and they don't think they need the gospel and so the practical implication Jesus says here in, verse, in Matthew 6, verse 4, is basically this. How can you say to your brother, as you guys look at each other's logs, let me take the speck out of your eye when you have this log in your eyes? It's perfectly obvious he's pointing out the hypocrisy here. And so in verse 5 he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And so 
there's an exercise in the life of the church to, that's healthy for us to exercise discernment and to confront others, but he wants us to do it in a, a manner and heart of love, of concern, and to address, literally remove and repent of the logs in our own life first. And so to do that in such a way that's genuine and real before you confront someone with their twig. There's also a few cautions around here that I want to just put out before you. As you deal with your own logs, if I deal with my own logs, to not do so with a shallow deception. To not be shallow in your own examination. In James chapter 1, it talks about the Word of God being a mirror. And it talks about a person who looks in God's Word, who sees their sin, and sees it and ignores it. And he says it's like a man who's basically, you know, sees the gunk or this mess in their face and just ignores it and continues to have the eye boogies in their lives and just continues on. He says, be careful. I warn, just, I just want to warn you of just being shallow in your personal um, examination. On the other extreme is a perpetual examination. You're so worried and concerned about your examination that you don't have these sins. It actually brings you down and you're just like, discouraged all the time and depressed all the time. For you, I would say, hey, keep your eyes on the cross too. Have good examination, healthy examination, but also look at the cross and know that you have victory, you have hope, and you have joy because of the cross. But it's appropriate to what? To practice this ministry of examination and doing it in a healthy way and cultivating a love relationship so you can speak into a person's life. Not critically, but with grace and with love and with truth all together. There's something wrong in our hearts if it's always condemnation and harshness. There, uh, maybe your view of God is this judge, and you feel like you're, you're God, you're Jesus is God's second in command to judge others. And so when grace and truth come together, it's a beautiful thing. And it forms an amazing community that people love and accept, but they want each other's best for each other. Lastly, after the log is removed, Jesus gets very personal here. These are verses, like, I'm not sure all the implications, but the proper and balanced view that Jesus wants to have in the life of our relationships, of his church, is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. Let's say <coughs> we want to do the log removal in, in, the, in the best kind of way. It says here, then... After you remove the log, he says, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As you interact with each other, specks or twigs in each other's lives, do so humbly, do, do so gracefully. Um, I have a friend who's an ophthalmologist. That's the eye surgeon, right? Talk to me. Autom Autometrist is kind of the eye doctor that examines your eyes, but the optometrist is the one that does surgery, right? See, ophthalmologist. I got some nodding heads. Um, so you, you can imagine, you can get a screwdriver and a, what's that called? A tweezer and go aggressively in someone's eyes and say, you know, I got that out of there. I think I got that little speck or that twig and I got it out of there. Or you want a skilled, <laughs> delicate, kind, expert ophthalmologist that would go into your eye real gently and pull it out with the least amount of pain as possible. Right? That's the kind of people we want to be for each other, not just aggressive. You know, here's my dad's tweezers that he uses to pluck his eyebrow hairs or whatever and go after your eyeball like that. You don't want that. That would be very painful. So last application and the implications are found in verse 6. Jesus gives this illustration here. He says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls to pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. I'm like, what has happened in here? Jesus is talking about this profound gospel community where you love each other, and the, God, the, the cross is and the gospel is center of the community. And this is, it's exciting because people are loving each other, accepting each other. Um, they want each other's best for each other. They're all recovering um, Pharisees and scribes. And you're seeing change in each other's lives. But there, he's warned us, there's a type of people 
um, that we need to be mindful of. And there's their dogs and their pigs. So in the Old Testament times, people didn't own dogs like we do as pets. All right, dogs were considered dirty. Sometimes the only type of dogs that they, people would bring in for the owner would be a dog to help them to shepherd sheep, to, to, to rally the sheep together. But most of the time, dogs were considered to be wild, animalistic, greedy, vicious, often diseased, dangerous, and despised. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you do not give dogs what is holy. What is this holy part? What is being sacred? <clears throat> What's sacred that Jesus is talking about? In the, in the Old and New Testament times, there are, there are sacrifices being made. And when sacrifices were made, the best part was given to God and laid on the altar. There would be extra parts left over. And technically, you know, when, when you're laid on the altar, it's cooked, it's grilled. And so the priest would eat some of the food. And if there's leftover, that, they do what we do. We take it home and we share with our family. And so Jesus' point, you don't take what you would put on the altar for God, that which is holy, and throw it to the dogs. That would be, I don't even know what this is to say, unthinkable, um, terrible, um, despicable to give what was, been, that was set apart and made holy as, for God as a sacrifice and to say, hey, we're going to give what was meant to the Lord to give to these dirty dogs. Um, so <clears throat> that's a concern, a warning that Jesus has. The second one is the pig. What, what are pigs and what are swines in the time? For the Jewish mind, pigs were the epitome of uncleanliness. They were just considered dirty. Uh, <clears throat> the pigs and swine were scavengers. They would go into the city and they would find garbage and food in the garbage and they would eat from that. They were dirty, they were filthy, they were vicious. And so what Jesus says here is you don't give pearls to pigs. All right? Pearls are, are what we think of them. They're, some, they're rare jewels. They're of great value. Um, it was said in the first century, if there were, <clears throat> if there were pigs between you and, and the food, the, <clears throat> the pigs would literally attack you as they go after the food that they so wanted. They would eat, they would kick, they would use their hooves, and they would whack you with them. Um, then it said that these, these types of pigs would have these husks, and they would go after you with them. And so Jesus has this unique warning. There are some people that are spiritual dogs and pigs that don't appreciate God's word. They don't appreciate the gospel. And I'm not exactly sure what they look like, but I get this idea that this person would be pretty obvious that we would just not want to spend time ministering to the gospel with them because they are pigs and they are swine. I don't know if we go running around and say, hey, these are the dogs and these are the pigs, but I think there's a, an appropriate way that we would understand. We don't need to put our time in, <coughs> in ministry there. So there are so many applications um, that can be given here, but I'll leave you with the one that concerns me the most. I think the one that concerns me the most is underneath self-righteousness is pride, and underneath that, I realize, is a, a heart that still rests and trusts in self and one's own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. And so... I want you to look to the cross and be remembered of what Christ has done and be overwhelmed that Christ died for you. Um, you live in a no longer condemnation status, that you are free and set free, and that you live a life, as you look at your brothers and sisters, of gratitude and thankfulness and joy and appreciation for what Christ has done. And but for the fact that you're also my brother and my sister. When there's a culture of ingratitude and taking each other for granted, there's probably the culture right behind it is a critical spirit and a condemning spirit not far behind it. And it's a, it's a culture that's saying, hey, I'm living off my strength, my righteousness, and my ability. And so might we die to that? And might we be amazed more and more at what Christ has done for us? And may God continue to weed 
our blindness and our critical spirit and our ungrateful heart out of us and increase Christ in our life. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, um, for your gospel and for a hard message. Uh, and so, Father, I pray for all of us as we're recovering or Pharisees and scribes or if we're blinded, Lord, that you would open the blinders of our heart that we might see you more accurately. Lord, that we, that you would sovereignly and dramatically and radically rip the logs out of our eyes that we might see more clearly who you are and what you're like. I pray the same thing for the city, Lord, that you would remove the logs that blind us, that we might see you for, for the very first time and give our lives to you. I understand um, that there may be some here in this room that are counting on their righteousness to save them. And I know that it's not possible to be saved by our own righteousness. It's almost like asking a spider web to, to stop a falling rock. It's not possible. Only Christ. Only your son alone. Only your redemptive work can free us from this sin that so not just entangles us, literally blinds us. That we can't see you correctly. And it causes us not to relate to others in a healthy and proper way. Lord, we need your grace to free us. We need your grace to open our eyes. We need your grace to break us. feet away um, doesn't do anything but I, I want to implore to everyone in this room and myself if you recognize on any level that you are a recovering and a suffering Sadducee scribe, Pharisee that you have a sense of a critical spirit, a judgmental spirit, that you would get right with God come forth and bend your knees to the king who gave his life for you and to confess your sins to be right for the first time or just simply to restore your relationship with him and I want to begin with myself I sense in my heart a heart that needs more of your grace I need my arteries my spiritual arteries clean so so your grace so your compassion would fill me all the more so that would be more useful for you but first I need to deal with the pride and self-righteousness in my own life so do what you need to do you can turn around your seats and bow before Jesus and confess we have the children's area if you like knee padding to your knees but I encourage implore you to get right 